0: Welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast, featuring conversations with Canadian cannabis industry experts. This podcast addresses numerous facets of the commercial cannabis marketplace, from plant health and cultivation to testing, extraction, and distribution. Visit growopportunity.ca to subscribe to our print and digital media platform. Hello, and welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast. I'm your host, Haley Nagasaki, editor of Grow Opportunity Magazine. And today we are joined by Alexandre Gauthier, Director of Cultivation at Origin Nature. Alex is the winner of our Grow Opportunities 2022 Top Grower Award. We're so excited to have him here. Bonjour Alex, comment ça va? (laughs) Hi,
1: well, it's going very well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, I mean, a big thank you for the award, um, you know, from my team and myself. And a big thank you to the entire Grow Opportunity team and the entire judging panel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had five judges this year, two more than last, and uh, it was it was great. It was a, a first time for me as well. I love the process. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I was just really wanted to hear about you and how you got started and where you are right now.
1: Cannabis has been, I would say. Uh almost a lifelong uh, love story for me. I discovered cannabis very early on in my life um, around the age of 14. I was lucky enough that my parents had a double nationality. So I went over to Europe where um, I developed my knowledge in cannabis. I met some friends uh, all over Europe that had some expertise. Uh, Some of my friends were working in Amsterdam uh, in a legal coffee shop. And so from uh, From there, I got a lot of knowledge, but of course the laws were extremely repressive in Europe. So I never never really, I never wanted to play on the wrong side of the law, of course. So I decided to move back to Canada where there was legal permits. And I proceeded to then help people to get their medical license and then teach them how to grow to do their own medicine. I was always a strong believer in cannabis in itself, in the plant, its value, whether medical, recreational, or all the byproducts that can come from it. And I always had a very hard time understanding how alcohol and other opiates would be legal, open distribution, prescribes to minor and so on. And um, I saw a lot of the damage it can do in my life. And I always had a hard time understanding why cannabis was illegal. And so that's why I couldn't keep away from it. And that's, you know, I was just so passionate about it. From there, I was lucky enough um, to be taken by Aura Cannabis um, prior to direct legalization. So I started on the medical side on uh, the full commercial scale. Um, From there, uh, we had different core values. So I moved on and I went to Title Health Solution, which is a medical inclined licensed producer at that moment in New Brunswick. Um, So we were very much for patients, especially veterans that had uh, you know, PTSD and other disease. So we were really in contact with the patient. We also had uh, one of the leadership team member was a veterinarian. So we were also working on CBD treats for animals and so on. It was very, a very, very exciting moment. Uh, there was a certain change, of course, in leadership. The direction that was taken was to go more into topicals, and uh, other product that didn't require as much biomass, um, so I decided to move on again, as cultivation was really my true passion. And um, That's where I felt I met uh, the entire family from Origin Nature, um, and you know, from it was just the right place. The Origin Nature team was really a good fit in the sense that everyone, from you know investors to uh, the leadership team to the first crew that came in to work there. All had a passion for cannabis and positive experience with cannabis the origin nature was never founded on the premise of let's make money it was founded on the premise of let's create the legacy let's create the business that will stand after we retire and we simply want to be able to say that you know we were the founding team and we're proud of that we worked at origin for our entire career and that it lives on to be you know known for quality and making people feel great. And while we still are pushing everything that we can to its limit, whether it's our cultivation, it's our workflow, our cost of operation, um, we really like to perform, we like to get better. We, We really think that there is no such thing as being the best at anything. There's always continuous improvement. So it's always a new challenge. It's always a new adventure. It's always going to work with people that are happy to be there. And yeah, cannabis just became the biggest part of my life at that point. And, you know, the future holds so much for cannabis and for everybody that's in the industry right now that it's just a very exciting time. And I'm very happy to be there.
0: Cool. Yeah, it is an exciting time. And you touched on a lot of points there. You mentioned your core values, you mentioned the fact that you're the founding group of Origin Nature, and that you guys are more of a family first than, uh, than colleagues. So I'm curious a little bit if you wanted to discuss some of the, the main players in your team, as well as just sort of like a day in the operations at Hijin. And then as well, you also touched on the fact that there's plenty of room for growth and lots of challenges. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about that as well.
1: Absolutely. You know, to better understand the team and the Dea de Régine, we need to first understand the four core values, which is passion, family, street smart, and social consciousness, as well as our motto, which is to make everybody feel great. Everything we do, every project that we have, the way we behave is all dictated by those four core values in that one motto. We didn't invent those core values. We discovered that we all had them and that we shared them. So that entire team lives and breathes with those core values. The important key people are, of course, the entire leadership team. Gaston Duplan QA, Rachel Dursault, um, that's uh, everything that's HR, government relation, Dave Bo CEO, Matt Laverdure, VP of Ops. Um, Louis Gingras, who's our CFO, and of course, Dominique Laverdure, who is our VP of marketing, myself, uh, VP of R&D. We have our master grower, Adam Stolting, the alternate master grower, uh, Chris Arnold. We got Caroline Leclerc, which is our propagation supervisor. We got Marcus, who's our IPM specialist. Everybody, I could name absolutely everybody on the team because everybody on the team plays a crucial part. Most companies will throw orders up to down and people will just listen. We built an entire system where we listen from the bottom to the top. So the people that are the most expert at their job are the ones doing it, not me who's in my office dealing with X amount of things. So we put a system in place where they can express themselves and with that passion and that street smart, they improve themselves the workflow and they want to share that performance. So every single person in the team is important and my performance is only as good as the one of my team so if i'm looking good today it's thanks to them and only to them and they're the one deserving that award for real now a typical day at origin first off we always have what we call an l10 once per week so every team every team is going to have a chance one hour and a half per week be open and honest about everything and bring issues to the table and solve them together and everybody has to speak and be open and honest and that's how we get better so there's always one meeting like that in the week for everyone i love that it's you know people shouldn't be waiting to have a review once per year to tell it how it is everybody should be able to say so every week so that's how you improve you know the, the 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 most the only advantage we have over anyone in the industry is our teamwork and our team cohesion. That's it. There is nothing else that could cons- be considered an advantage. It's the simple fact that we work together, we're a family and we strive for operational excellence. That's it, right? So that also comes with a lot of over communication. So you start your day, you know what needs to be done, the time frame we have, uh, when to communicate when something goes out of whack so we can replan the whole day and make changes to bring help or take out people and so on. So it's all about knowing where we're headed. Everybody's aware. There, It's not just a manager that needs to be a, a, aware. Everybody needs to be aware so everybody can participate. Once we're lined up, we get on our day. And, you know, depending which team. I, I manage a lot of teams, so... Um, <laughs> And they're all important to the game. So I know this is the top grower, so maybe we want to put an emphasis on the grower, but every single team is important. So which team would you like me to talk about?
0: Well, I think you answered that question already. But yeah, I'd love to hear <laughs> about the cultivation team. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so um, cultivation team, we're going to have some specialists that are only in the mother room cloning pre-veg. Um, it's a full full job to take care of, of our mothers, right? Everything start from the mother stock the clones that we take um, if you're having issues during those stage you're just going to play catch up the entire way all the way to harvest and never actually catch up to deliver on the on the best product so standardization starts at the mother plant so we got a team that are designated for that we're always also going to assess the situation so we could do all our checks the diamatex system uh, temperatures rh um, irrigation And the graph over the last 12 hours or 24 hours, depending, we do a physical check in all the room. Is all the equipment working? All the lights working? And we do check every single plant in the facility once per day. Did they get feed? Is the emitters working properly? What are the runoff? Uh, We check the fertigation. What's the pH? Is all the injector working correctly? What's the temperature of the water? So we check every single parameter that can affect our facility as far as equipment, I um, say the fertigation and, and everything that goes into it. We then reassess also you know, which plant needs plant work. So even if we have a schedule, we still take time to double check everything. We never trust nothing. And that is the true secret to consistency. We simply outwork most people because we take the time to do every single check every single day. We never trust anything. And by tracking that data and by taking that data and making those checks, that's how we can also predict problems and act preemptively instead of reactively. And that's most of the day. We know the strains. We mass produce them, right? We don't, we're not a company that has 40,000 SKUs. We have um, five strains that we're growing right now. A lot of skews come from those strains, so pre-roll format, dried flower in different format, uh, and hash. But we know those strains well. We know exactly which day we need to bottom prune day, prune them, which day we would need to delete, which day we need to plant, how long they're supposed to be in the cloning room, how long they're supposed to be in the pre-veg, how long they're supposed to be in veg. And every time one of that metric goes out of whack, we can right away... React, not necessarily I don't mean react, but right away do something to either correct or figure out what was the issue to prevent it from happening on the next batch. So it's just a lot of work of dedication. It's not as much plant work as people think it is. It's a lot of checking and ensuring that everything is okay. Because at the end of the day. Cannabis plants don't like to be touched. They don't like to be bottom pruned fifteen times. They don't like to be deleafed fifteen times. You need to minimize the amount of time you touch that cannabis plant.
0: I see. So it sounds like data, your control methods, um, checking, rechecking. These are all things that are are helping to, um, like you said, the secret to consistency. And, and problem solving. So rather than finding band-aid solutions, you're going to the source and you're figuring out sort of in real time, you're not waiting for things to break, at, break down, you're kind of just on it all the time. And that's, you know, leading you guys to success. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. You know, a concrete example of that is a widely known problem in cannabis industry. And well agricultural is biofilm being present in the fertigation pipe that can cause clogging. And then uh, basically, you know, kill your plants if you don't notice it. So if you're taking the time to measure how much water comes out of your drip stake, and that should be a standardized number because everything is pressure compensated and so on, um, while the second you go in the room and you notice that instead of having 125 milliliter in a minute, you got 90. Well you can start checking your furt line and most likely you're going to find the issue. So you didn't wait to impact your crop. You right away were able to predict this was going to become an issue and correct it in advance.
0: I'm curious too, I want to hear about what are your most popular strains. I know I think you guys have received some awards in the past, so I'm curious to hear about that as well.
1: Most popular strain are uh, Mandarin Cookie, Sage and Sour and the Chemdog OG. Uh, we were lucky to be honored with uh, the third place at the Collector's Cup in BC for our Mandarin Cookie in the ounce format. Historically speaking, we have a lot of experience with them. Uh, We take the time to do a lot of runs. Uh, Mandarin Cookie, of course, is one of the, uh, comes from the Ethos Seed Bank, Sage and Sour comes from uh, the TH Seed Bank, and Chemdog OG was also a drop from the Ethos multipass that we got, that we were very lucky with a very nice pheno. Sage and souring Ken dog are very strong on the sativa type, uh, sativa dominance. So they really bolt and explode when we flip them to flower. One of the things that's extremely impressive about our grow is we take plants that are about, you know, eight inches tall by four inches wide, and by the time they're done the tree week of stretch, they're (laughs) they're about uh, four feet tall, four feet wide. Um, so we, we like to have a system where plants can really bolt and have big plants uh, where that limits the, the pressure on our operational workflow as far as holding mothers, creating clones and so on. Uh, we also ha- like to find the right strain that have the good leaf to calyx ratio um, so we don't have to m- do too much work on them. Of course, high yielding, high THC, high terpene profile and of course, easy to work with when it comes to the post-harvest process Um, all those strains are you know very resistant to everything that's uh, pest contamination so on but when you want to deliver a final product that's consistent you need to ensure that the type of flour that are grown will resist and and strive through the post-harvest process so the hand trimming that we do no scissors no machine really just with the thumbs is to preserve the integrity of our trichome or flower, not damage it, do a visual inspection, but it's not all type of cannabis flower that can go through that process and be efficient. But we maintain that to deliver that consistency and that quality to the consumer, you need multiple human control step and the product needs to go buy, you know a couple of humans to ensure that every single product that comes out of origin nature makes the buyer feel great.
0: Got it. Got it. That's amazing. And um, so you're selling in Quebec and BC, correct? And then are you expanding internationally?
1: Um, We are looking at some international projects. Yes, there's over 45 emerging countries in the world. It is only normal for Canada to look towards international. We have, uh, as Canadians, an amazing expertise and an amazing skills at cultivation. So, Yes, we. Everybody's turning a little bit, I think, to international, and I think it's good. And I think it uh, it's good to try to create that reputation of being really the epicenter of cannabis expertise in the
0: world. What uh, What makes Canada the epicenter? Just just because we had a head start, or or because of the inputs, or what is it here that's special?
1: I think that we have a very intricate history with cannabis. Uh, I mean, worldwide, historically speaking. I think there was no real better place to grow cannabis in itself uh, with, without losing the focus on the operational expertise. When we're talking about everything that's West Coast, California, uh, BC, so on, or other countries that have nicer climate, what, what we often experience is not necessarily the growing excellence, but the consumption excellence. They are the true sommeliers of cannabis because anybody could grow basically cannabis outside, throw some seeds experience. So it was really more geared toward really having that experience and understanding the product. Whereas when you look in Quebec where we have the cheapest electricity in the world, uh, we have a lot of square footage for everything. The population is quite low for all the area that we have and the entire, uh, you know, American East coast that needed supply well, there was a lot of operational expertise that developed. It wasn't about, you know, becoming consumers and enjoying cannabis. It was about producing the maximum amount of cannabis in the most efficient way to a quality level that it will get purchased by the Americans you know, once it crosses the border. So we really saw uh, that expertise in in how to scale up cannabis because everybody can have a nice little technique that grow in their basement. And yes, you're growing awesome cannabis in your 10 by 10 room with two lights and so on. That's great. Is your technique scalable? If you need to grow on 10 acres, what you're doing right now, is it doable? Most likely, the answer is no. Scalability in the technique is extremely hard. And that's where the difference, I would say, lies to some extent. We right away went for techniques that were scalable as much on the workflow as on the workload itself. With the operational cost in itself, so the cost, uh, the cost of the team and the cost of the electricity, cost of the input, I think it puts Canada... Uh, and Quebec in a a very nice position to become leader. Um, We see amazing product. I definitely can say that the best cannabis in the world as far as price to quality ratio is in Quebec. There is no such thing as bad cannabis. There's only badly priced cannabis. So yes, there's some better cannabis elsewhere, but if you're selling it at forty-five to sixty dollar for a three and a half, it is not better cannabis because the price ratio doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm going to throw my favorite comparison also. Uh, in the NHL, ten percent of the active player are Quebecers right now. It, it, it's ridiculous compared to the global pool of talent that the NHL has. That ten percent of the players are Quebecer. Definitely, in the world, the representation of Canadians and Quebecers and self in the cannabis industry is tremendous. And that comes from before legalization. If you look at a lot of places in California, um, in Spain, Portugal, all over the world, Israel, you will find Canadians everywhere making it work. And that's where some of us create a good name. There was unfortunately a, a phenomenon where when wreck happened, a lot of, I would say, scammers took advantage of that to create themselves a false expertise. And for, you know, for now, uh, some Canadian consultants have very bad name and brought bad name to Canada. But we're here. Every, I think that we're moving in a way to change that, and that now that canvas is more well known. People can see through the scammers, and the real Canadian expertise is shining worldwide.
0: Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. So I know that you are the Director of Cultivation. You are also in a couple other roles at Origin Nature. So you're the head of R&D. And uh, what's the other one? So I want to talk a little bit about your R&D projects. I know you're receiving some funding from the Canadian government. So what are you doing with that? And how are you incorporating sustainability into all of this?
1: I'm probably going to make some enemies on this one, but (laughs) it has to be said. There is barely any case studies that are put out there by university or any PhD level that can actually be used. Every single case study to some extent that I've seen, or most of them are being quoted, are left to the greenhouse manager at the university that works 40 hours per week and unfortunately does not care about everything that, testing that's going on. When there's an issue at a greenhouse in the university on that, Friday night, do you think it's solved before the Monday? No, there, there, You know, there's a lot of parameters. Cannabis is the plant that reacts the most to its environment. It's so adaptive. Everything needs to be ultra consistent. You can't go in a random LP to take some random mother that's 18 months old and take clones all over it when you don't know how it got treated. Anyway, a mother plant 18 months old doesn't even make sense. And take clones from it and then deduce that oh. You know, there's different personality in in the cannabis mother plants because the cone we took aren't the same. You know, like everything is flawed in almost every study. that Not everything is flawed, but the case in itself is flawed. So if you don't have perfect consistency, which we are so few of us in the industry are able to achieve at this moment, how can we draw any real conclusion, right? When I'm doing R&D with my team, there isn't any strain that we can take except strains that we have historical, consistent data for more than 30 crops in rooms that we were able to stabilize consistently and we can demonstrate it with their graphs and so on. If if you don't have all of that, every single conclusion that we might want to take, and I'm talking really on how to grow cannabis, I am not talking about cannabinoid study in any way or medical study and how it affects patients. I'm really talking about the... The growing of cannabis. How can we draw conclusions? So that's where we we had a need to create a full blown R and D department to be able to really do the, the the research that we want. We also started a lot of research on everything that's cannabinoids themselves interaction with terpenes. When we talk about funding, we are working with a school that's called L'Asté, And we have a grant that's called Engage to basically do some uh, organolectic trial with some testers and see if there's an interaction with terpenes as well as cannabinoids. Again, multiple protocols that need to be put in place, resistance to to cannabinoids in itself, the consumers. It's a lot more complicated than we think to do human trial, right? Uh, A lot of people confuse pharmaceutical and medical pharmaceutical is so costly. Right now, there's pretty much only one product that's pharmaceutical from cannabis, and it's Sativex, which costs so much money, and they're barely starting to make profit of it. And when we're talking medical, well, it's it's exactly the same cannabis as on the rec market. It's produced the same way within the same regulation, only the avenue of selling is different. You can get the same cannabis on the medical that you can get on direct pharmaceutical is product that has extensive human trial to cover absolutely everything when you're doing research you need to do research in a way that no one can put a hole in it and that's why you have some peer reviews and that is wide open for cannabis it's a blank slate because of the laws with cannabis because of the need of cannabis itself when it's growing and the limitation of most of the people that are allowed to do research on it, well, we don't have anything conclusive. So in our desire to strive to, to, to understand the plant and to make it better and, you know, make sure that everybody has the best product possible while well, we created this R&D department. We also saw that there was a lot of circular economy that could be created from everything that's or waste from cannabis. So everything that's stem, everything that's the medium. Medium can be composted. The stem can be transformed to textile, paper, um, clothing. Um, We can use cannabis to decontaminate ground also, so on. So right now, because we were the first one to truly legalized cannabis correctly with a real frame in the world, all lies were on us. We had to put stricter laws into place and we're alleviating them as we better understand the product and what it does. So we, it, it took, even if there was a clear potential, it took a lot of time to just begin the step for most of the players in the industry to create that circular economy and to reuse and be more green with everything that we do as far as waste from cannabis. Um, so we recently entered the program with Synergie Laurentienne, um, our VP of Marketing, Dominique Laverdure, was spearheading that project, and I was giving her support in there, and we're now uh, on the verge of sending everything that stem uh, and the medium and the root mass to be reused, composted, and from there that will create jobs, that will create, uh, uh, you know, uh, byproduct, and so on. And eventually it will be to be able to reuse everything that's the plant matter that we're supposed to denature. Um, It it is normal for the government that when you legalize cannabis, first you want to ensure the safety of the consumer, but you also want to stop the black market. So if you're allowing garbage that has a, a THC potency to just, you know, not have any denature, uh, uh, destroying procedure, you could be helping the black market. So it is normal that those rules were in place. As I said, eventually they will alleviate whether, you know, whether people think it or not, I can definitely tell you that the black market took a massive hit since legalization it's falling. Uh, there's less and less of it. And the less there is, the more we can alleviate the rule around recreational cannabis.
0: Gotcha. But I guess in terms of um, like, you know, reusing the, the plant matter, like that's, we have to wait for sort of like a regulatory reform because we like, as it stands, like that basically has to be destroyed, right? Like your, your stems and leaves and whatnot.
1: They have to be destroyed in a controlled way, okay. but it was also, um, you know, we needed the treatment plants, I would say, to be able to deal with those residues. So now that they are in place, I'm pretty sure that in the upcoming two years, we're going to see drastic change in how we're handling cannabis waste. Um, it just yes, it needed a, a little bit of time so that we can move on ahead, create the right synergy, create the right link with other companies to make it happen. And now it's just a, a question of, of it happening. We're we're right. almost there.
0: Yeah. No, I hope so. I mean, there's so much. There's so much we could we could be doing with it, especially with the fibers and stuff like that. We have a few minutes left, but I wanted to talk a little bit about your predictions of the market, the next 24 months, and you know uh, a little bit about stabilization and, and benchmarking.
1: I think that unfortunately in the upcoming time, we will see some companies that go down, uh, mostly the ones that didn't bother to read the rule book before starting the company. Um, I I hope, I really hope that we're gonna start seeing more uh, of a selection of cannabis based on the terpene profile and the overall experience rather than always chasing the thc um you know may, um, maybe my hope is misplaced but there will be definitely more education uh that's we're seeing it everywhere everybody's starting to be more open we're only missing basically a couple medical breakthrough with cannabis for it i think to be really nationally accepted on all level and that we can truly ju- really start running with it, I think that we're going to see maybe some changes here and there to some ball of distribution in some provinces, you know, there seemed to be some saturation here and there of retailers, there was maybe a misunderstanding of the demand and the supply at beginning for the cannabis industry, I think that now there's a lot more knowledge coming with that. So we're really going to start seeing better services, a specialization in those services, Overall, a better integration of cannabis. And yes, that's going to come to first, probably with some hard time. But there's definitely uh, the grass will be greener after the, ra- the rain that I'm pretty sure of.
0: I would definitely agree with you. And um, just for any growers that are listening to this, what are some insights that you have or tips or, or some main takeaways?
1: Believe in your dream. Do it with passion. But if, if you're a grower, don't do it by feeling feelings is not the way to grow cannabis you need to be data driven you need to be understand you need to understand what you're doing and you need to understand the science behind it to, to be able to really put your game to the next level now as a grower you also need to understand that if you go to the cannabis industry it's to mass produce whether you're a craft grower or not there is a minimum that you need to produce to be profitable and everybody keeps their job so It's not about, as I say, spending the most time in the grow rooms possible. It's about having a workflow that gives you a cost of operation that makes sense to produce a flower or a byproduct of cannabis that there's a demand for. Not that you think that there will be a demand for because you want it. No, that there is a true demand for that the market is asking for it because you're growing for them, not for you, and that you price it at the right. Price. If you don't put your cannabis in the right price segment, if your ego is in the way and makes you think that it's the best cannabis in the world, you're going to have issues. You need to really understand the consumers and put the right product in the right price segment and produce it at the right price. The cannabis industry is still not mature enough so that we can see the full, I would say, niche market. As of now, consumers simply want to have an offer of the right canvas at the right price. Once that stabilizes, then we will see different niche market happen, but you need to get that intelligence of the canvas industry and its deep understanding regulation workflow as much as the passion to grow the plant in a way that's scalable
0: fantastic fabulous thank you so much alex thank you for your passion thank you for your expertise for your representation of quebec of canada as a whole i mean what's a good episode without you know weed hockey and controversy we covered it all so i appreciate you thank you so much i also want to thank our sponsors um our sponsors of top grower award ANL labs canna canada and dynomyco so thanks so much alex
1: thank you and thank you for having me
0: Thank you for tuning in today. If you haven't already, check out our latest issue on growopportunity.ca, where you might also subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. Be sure to give us a follow on social. And again, I'm your host, Haley Nagasaki. We'll see you next time.